You're listening to the Power of a Story podcast. Real people sharing real stories of real freedom. This is part of the RFP Network, and here's today's story. My name is Joey Pursuti, and I was a victim of the independent fundamental Baptist movement. I grew up as Catholic in East Tennessee, which itself was an anomaly. In the fifth grade, my parents did the most uncatholic thing to do. Uh, they sent me to an IFB Christian school. In their mind, it was a private school and it must be better than all those other public schools. Uh, before going to this school, I had only gone to Catholic services or masses. My world turned completely upside down as I began to attend weekly chapel at this new school. I heard the story of Jesus in a way that was completely new to me. Hell was very real a place where all the drunks and partiers go, a place that belonged to everyone but for the people who agreed with the preacher. There was this thing called being saved, and if you trusted in Jesus and asked him in your life, then you could also be saved. It was a decision that needed to be made today because to death could easily be out the door as soon as you walk out the door. Every Wednesday I heard this, and eventually it took root. While looking back, I see this approach to sharing the gospel as a way of using fear of hell to get people to Jesus. And back then, God used it. As I'm sure he has with many others, it continues to use it to this day. So I believed and trusted in Jesus at the age of 14 or 15. In a sense, this was done out of fear. In another, something radically changed in me. Since that moment, I began to want to constantly read the Bible and learn everything I could about theology. I left the Catholic Church officially and began attending the church affiliated with my school, which was obviously an IFB church. I developed a hatred for sin that I never had before. However, this hatred for sin was almost unhealthy and instilled in me a sense of self-righteousness. It was easier to hate the sins of others more so than to hate even my own sins. I found myself constantly judging others, condemning others to hell, refraining from fellowship with others, and rarely considering the needs and interests of others more important than my own. Close friendships I had had, I lost. I justified all of this because of my pursuit of Jesus and their hatred of him. They refused to trek down the, quote, old path, quote, the narrow way and sold out to the world. This would include the many conservative Baptist churches in town, such as the Southern Baptist churches, that I often viewed as, quote, liberal. There were even rifts among our own IFB churches, which did not create fellowship because of simple disagreements on modesty. My pursuit of biblical knowledge was often a means to fuel my low self-esteem and create obstacles in prospective relationships. Isolation was the result of my pride. And the IFB culture I was in only enabled and encouraged this even more. Within my IFB circle, I was young, I was passionate, I was energetic, and I was knowledgeable. I was an asset in many ways to them, especially in a world that wanted nothing to do with them. My pastor, also my principal, mentored me in many ways. Most of them were good, but sometimes that good was tainted with the IFB legalism. Having a father that abandoned me during this time, I needed fatherly mentorship, and the pastor served just that function. However, 
I felt as if I had to earn my attention with him, prove myself to be wanted. I had to look and act and talk and dress in a certain way to be considered right. I gave up shorts and only wore jeans. The King James Version was the only version. In particular, the Schofield Study Bible was the only right study Bible. Everything else I would read with translations was a perversion and was literally thrown away. In fact, I remember doing a school event where I brought all my CDs and encouraged other kids like me to bring their CDs and we burned them like they did in Acts. Without any discipline from home, this pastor was instrumental in shaping my early IFB years. I constantly felt guilt and shame if I failed him. I lived in fear of being caught, even if what I did wasn't illegal or even arguably unbiblical. When I graduated from high school in 2006 as a valedictorian, mind you, of only six students, I planned to go to Bible college. And why not the Crown College of the Bible in Powell, Tennessee? For me, there were simply no other options that I needed to pursue. I felt called to preach and to be a future pastor. It was geographically close, but also the Mecca to many IFB circles in my town. And why shouldn't it be? It had thousands in attendance. It had its own school and seminary. It appeared to be legitimate. It had a history. It, had, it was IFB at its very core. I truly believe that during this time that this was a God thing, that my life that has now been IFB was now going to be fulfilled at Crown. And so I started Crown. But at the same time of starting Crown, I also had this relationship with this girl, this cute high school cheerleader at the local public school back home. And I wasn't about to lose this relationship as I was the nerdy kid who wasn't all that attractive, who would never get this chance again. So I did my best to maintain this relationship despite going to a college that likely and very likely did not approve. During my first year at Crown, living in dorm 13, I met a bunch of wonderful guys. Most of them grew up in a very sheltered IFB life. Most were completely unaware of the real world, either because they were homeschooled or prevented from even having a job outside of the home. Some of the guys that I drew closest to were ones who were just like me, often viewed as a little rebellious, as in they grew some stubble, came home past the curfew maybe a little bit, or ate at a restaurant that sold alcohol, even though they never drank alcohol. I felt more normal with these guys. Also, while I was fortunate to have worked at a food city, a grocery store in Tennessee, when I was 15 years old, and so I transferred from that food city to the one in Powell, Tennessee. During my time at Crown, I was given an opportunity to work in its video rental store department, which meant better pay, better hours, an easier job, and I got to watch movies. However, Crown would not approve of this for obvious reasons. Movies are bad. Ironically, the video rental store, they had memberships that included Crown professors. I knew this because often at times I would be asked to go back and assist people during their breaks since I had experience working that department in the past. During my first and only year at Crown, I never felt at peace during being there. Personally, the curriculum was unsatisfying and unimpressive. I'm aware that probably sounds arrogant, but, I, but I've been studying this stuff since I was 15 years old, and I just didn't feel challenged at all. I often found myself wanting more by engaging with the professors after class, but even that felt often underwhelming. I recall one class led by Clarence Sexton, who was the president of the school and pastor of the church with the school, where he literally just talked the whole time. 
the objective in the class, at least one of them, was to produce around 100 quotes. These quotes could be from anyone else, but needed to be done during that semester. Looking back, it seems silly, but this is really a symptom of a problem I began to notice at Crown. The word of IFB men were viewed on the same level as the word of God. Also during that time, I remember an occurrence in chapel, which was about three times a week that you would have to go. Clarence Sexton called out everyone who hadn't gotten caught up on their finances at the school. He asked them to stand up and then to leave immediately and get it taken care of. Uh, the amount of guilt and shame that Sexton imposed on these young kids who had felt called to do a noble task for God, it just disgusted me. I started feeling strange cult-like vibes throughout my time there. Most sermons felt like a checklist of what I had failed to do and what I needed to do. And there was this undying fealty to Sexton in mimicking him, his style, his mannerisms. And this was largely exhibited by men who didn't know any better. Having grown up Catholic and studied Catholicism pretty in depth, I began to notice the centrality of power that was in the Pope was similar to the power seen in Clarence Sexton. He had no true board of elders or eldership who had equal power. All leaders, as it appeared to me, submitted to him. In fact, all of Crown and its affiliated church was centered on him. As this became more apparent to me, I studied 1 Timothy 3 along with Titus and Philippians 1 and practically every passage I could find on biblical ecclesiology. My basic study concluded with this. The system at place at Crown was not like the first century church, which ironically was a label that Crown always claimed to believe it had followed. In many ways, this is one of the various cracks I felt obliged to notice because the scriptures were just so clear on what it stood for. I finally made my decision to leave Crown, and I headed back home. And before I left, I spoke with the vice president of the college who suggested that if God's will was to bring me to that college, it must mean that God's will is for me to stay at that college. Well, I didn't buy that logic or that rationale. One of the hardships of leaving Crown wasn't just leaving Crown but it was actually coming back to your IFB church that prayed and financially assisted you to go to begin with. Now I was back with the story that didn't make sense of the narrative I had left with. Eventually I would leave that church over some doctrinal differences, probably fueled by my pride a little bit at that time. And then I would attend a Southern Baptist church. Eventually I would receive my double major in history and political science at a university near town. All the while, the IFB culture and trauma lingered on inside my heart. I found myself having random nightmares of being scolded by Sexton or faculty for some stubble on my face or not getting or sitting properly in a class. I would marry that cute cheerleader I mentioned earlier from high school. However, she too became a victim to the legalism that had developed so early on in my life. Our marriage was filled with this checklist mentality, tit for tat things I had to be and to do to be the right husband. There were expectations I had of her that, uh, from that as well. And in 2011, I went to law school in Florida where I would eventually graduate and become an attorney. And during that time, my wife and I checked out of church altogether. I had become so convinced that I knew everything I needed to know. And I didn't need anyone or anything to really help me out with my faith. But by God's grace in 2014, my wife and I had identical twin girls. And in a matter of six months, 
Unfortunately, we were on the verge of collapse. I mean, I, I just sucked as a husband. She failed as a wife. And that was large because I was not leading and loving her well at all. It was the worst period of my life. And despite us and me, God remained faithful. We saw a church sign one day down the road, and that church was part of an Acts 29 church, which I had never heard of in my life. My wife was interested, and I naturally didn't care because I knew that church, like every church in my mind, probably got it wrong. Well, short enough, God transformed our lives in this little local church. Within months, two years, our hearts were restored. The freedom of gospel change and living became real in our lives. Our marriage was reconciled. My pride and legalism was submerged in God's humility and His grace. And I got asked to become an elder, which I served for three years there. I loved pastoring and caring for God's people, so much so that ministry became a passion and a calling in my life. At this church, God's love was real along with the reality of Him. His grace not only saves, but meets in the darkest moments of our lives. The good news wasn't just a singular moment of acceptance, but a daily occurrence of surrendering. I now understood and knew the why behind live, loving myself, loving my wife, loving my kids, and loving others. And that was because of God's love for me in Jesus. I felt empowered, then in shame and guilt, Gospel-centered preaching radically changed my perspective on the scriptures as it made sin more apparent and God's grace more breathtaking. With every opportunity I got to preach, the centrality of Jesus became more obvious and more pronounced. Looking back, I remain grateful for all the various men from the IFB movement that invested in me. They preached a gospel that does save and that many are saved by. They filled a void that was needed and God definitely met. And while I wish things could have been handled differently, my story allows for the opportunity to help others as they battle with IFB legalism and shame. Instead of regretting my past, I now see God's handiwork through it all to make me who I am today. Even today, I find myself counseling IFB victims from its baggage with the glorious gospel of Jesus. So if you feel lost in the IFB movement right now, there is hope. If you feel the need to defend these man-made traditions, there's God's word. If you feel bitterness from what you've experienced, there is healing. If you feel the weight of shame and guilt, there's grace. If you feel unworthy and acceptable, there's Jesus. Remember, for some of you, you don't need to come home. You're already there. Maybe you just need to be refreshed with the gospel of Jesus, that you're already home, that your Father loves you more than you could ever dare to imagine. And the transformation in the Christian life is not a curse. It's a gift. It's a joy. And it is a blessing. Thanks for listening to the Power of a Story podcast. Every story matters. We launched the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast by sharing stories and connecting over shared experiences we never want to lose the importance of each and every story. And so we invite you to join us as we get back to storytelling. Each episode here on The Power of a Story will dive into someone's story told by them in their own voice. Visit rfpnetwork.org to get started recording and telling your story. And yours could be one shared right here on The Power of a Story podcast. 
Visit us today by going to rfpnetwork.org.